Anybody been hanging out with us on Sundays? You know that we've been going through 1 Peter then, and uh, we've basically taken this entire four or five months to basically walk through uh, verse by verse this book that was written by Peter to a bunch of churches in a place called Asia Minor. We know it now as Turkey, who are in the middle of their own mess. And I trust as you've been studying it with me, you've um, received from God the encouragements that he has for us when we face hard times, the things that really matter as we talked about them all summer. Uh, if you were here last week, we got to a part of the book, First uh, Peter chapter four, you can turn there with me as we continue uh, what we started last week. And, uh, and we see things kind of uh, bubble up in Peter's words that uh, have great parallels to the things that all churches throughout time are meant to be about, but, but certainly our church has sought to be about in our existence here in this day and age. Uh, if you're just coming to church for the first time, you came on a good week. I'm going to tell you what church is all about, what being a Christian is all about, as Peter refers to it here in the scripture. Uh, to help us remember what we're about, we've kind of fashioned this mission statement. Uh, we talked about it last week. I'm going to have you read it with me again. Everybody in the room, you ready to read nice and loud? Everybody online, kind of lean forward in your lazy boy. Here we go. Everybody with me? Say, th say this with me. We live, to, yeah, we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. One more time. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. My uh, mission as a follower of Jesus Christ is to become like him in all that I think and say and do. God's hope for us as a church is that all of our lives would be fashioned around and dedicated to what he has revealed to us in his word. Everything in life, if you're a follower of Jesus, should flow from him, through you, to others, and back up to him as an act of worship and praise so that he is glorified. We call this being a disciple, but our becoming like Jesus and being disciples, it doesn't terminate with us. We are uh, you know, maturing and growing for a purpose, a greater purpose that goes beyond our personal lives. We exist or live to glorify God, not just by being disciples ourselves, but by giving our lives to the making of disciples in tandem and in partnership with God. Behind everything we do then as a church, every plan that we execute, every program or publication, every sermon or service, we have this one mission, this one hope, this one passion to glorify God as disciples who make disciples. Can we say it one more time here in the room and online? Say it with me. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. So we started talking about that last week here in 1 Peter chapter 4. And in conjunction with that, we talked about um, these four principal pursuits, I call them, these core values, if you want to refer to them that way, that are uh, kind of what shape our, uh, our, our pursuit of our mission, our, our, our passion for our mission. They encompass and, encompass and enable our success in fulfilling what God's called us to do. We call them our core four. You can read these with me too. Are you ready? It's fun. We need to worship God, we need to belong, we need to serve and multiply. Say those four with me. Worship, belong, serve, and multiply. Peter uh, just so happens to cover three of the four in, here in this section of uh, 1 Peter chapter four. Uh, last week we talked about worshiping and belonging. This week we're gonna cover uh, serving and uh, multiplying. But uh, let me just kind of review real quickly for us what Peter's saying here in this text. Look at chapter four, verse seven. Uh, Peter starts by telling us the clock's ticking. 
He says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Uh, I, uh, I understand that uh, in my own life. There's this clock ticking over my head. I don't see it. Do you see yours? Uh, but it started the day you were born. It had the number of days that you'll live here on this earth, not to be all grave or anything, but yours is ticking, mine is ticking. We're closer to death now than we just were. And our time here on earth is limited. Not only that, there's a clock in heaven. The father has set a time where his son will return. It may precede our finishing on this earth. Everybody ready for that? He can come right now if he wants. I'm cool with that. Is everybody ready to go? If you're in Christ, you should be ready to go. Uh, but uh, regardless of which end arrives first, my personal end or the second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, um, Peter's making a point. He's like, hey, let's live with some urgency here, people, with some focus, paying attention to what we do, knowing that uh, our, our choices make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those that we touch, those that are around us. Now, Peter goes on uh, after you know, in, invoking this uh, time sensitivity. He says, hey, man, let's be about these things. And they just happen to be the first three things of our core four, about worshiping and, and belonging and serving. Last week, we talked about this one. Stay focused in your personal pursuit of God. That's what he teaches us in verse 7. Look what it says there. The end of all things is at hand. Um, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, in light of this end, this eminent end, uh, we who follow Jesus need to live with sound judgment, exercising self-control, even as we, we remain sober-minded. Uh, certainly not drunk, <laughs> but he's not just referring to, you know, uh, being influenced by some, you know, um, something. He, he's talking about us being focused about us not being delusional or hysterical, being sober instead. We need to live with the self-control, with a sober mind, all so that we might better focus ourselves on the singular worship of the one true God. Some of you are like, well, Mark, I didn't, I didn't read the word worship there. Well, read what it says again. Let's be self-controlled. Let's be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of our prayers. If you're here last week, I, I, I talked about how prayers are kind of emblematic or uh, symbolic of the relationship that we have with God. We pray to Him, certainly, but God speaks to us through His Word, through our spirits, through other people coming into our lives. There's, there's this representation of our relationship with God that's found in prayer. If you're in a relationship with someone, it's pretty uh, important that you pay attention to them. Does everybody agree with me on that? Spouses, uh, parents, children? And, and if, as we think of worship, we think of worship as this act of adoration. We just got sung, done singing the praises of God, and we lifted his name up, and we adored him uh, with our songs. But worship um, isn't simply adoration. In fact, uh, for adoration to occur, there has to be this previous affection for whatever you're adoring. You know, it's that, uh, that, that experience of going into the store and seeing that perfect dress, ladies. I don't be, that seems kind of... So anyway, or, or seeing something that you're like, oh, that, it, that, that, that moment of seeing it and, and feeling that like connection to whatever it is leads you to want it and, and to have, uh, you know, partake in it. Uh, adoration flows from our affections. And here's the point. Our affections begin with our attention. So let's not mix it up. Worship's more than uh, the name of a room that we worship in, like the worship center. 
It's more than a song. Certainly, uh, we worship God in our songs, but it's more than songs. It's more than a, a service, a worship service. It's a choice. It's, as I've thought about worship lately, I've understood it as this. It's our choice, our willful determination put our, to put our attention and our affection and therefore our adoration on the one true God. It carries with it this idea of surrender. Uh, we live, or we're supposed to live as disciples in, in our worship of him, this, this, it's your call existence with God. Anybody have that kind of relationship with someone? Eleanor and, I, Eleanor and I, it's hard to say Eleanor and I really fast, just so you know, but Eleanor and I, uh, my wife, will uh, wake up on some Saturday mornings and uh, have the, you know, the day before us or a portion of the day before us, and, and we won't have talked about what we're going to do that day, and so she'll ask me, Mark, what do you want to do this day? And sometimes, I'll be honest, I haven't got an idea, so I just say, hey, babe, whatever you want. But most of the time when I'm saying that, I'm saying that uh, out of my uh, affection for my wife. I've known her for uh, almost 30 years. I've been married to her for 28 of them. She got my attention early as a young man. And from that uh, initial uh, meeting, uh, my affection grew, my love for her developed. And now I adore her in a right way, not ahead of God, but in, in the right way that a husband should adore his wife, and, and so uh, it's not a problem for me to say to this one that I adore, hey babe, your call. I'm happiest when you're happiest. I'm fine subjecting my will to your plans. All right, everybody, back to the Bible with me. Does everybody see how, that's, how God wants us to function? Father, you have my attention. Not just my attention, but my affection. And because of my affection for you, my love for you, I adore you, I worship you, and it's not a problem for me to surrender myself to you. Your will be done. Isn't that what Jesus said on the night that he was crucified for us? He's hanging out in the garden, he's praying to the Father, and he asks the Father, he says, Father, if you could pass this cup from me, uh, so be it. But then he says the words that he's basically been saying throughout his life, I am the Father in one. I don't do anything apart from the Father. He has my attention, my affection, my adoration. He set the tone for us. He was the template for us. And so he says in the garden, but not my will, but yours be done. Let me ask you a question. What's getting in the way of, of your worship in, in life right now? What's, what's the object of your affection? What's stealing your attention perhaps away from God? Is it getting ahead? Staying ahead? Is it all the fears and anxieties associated with this particular period of history? Is it uh, maybe your kids, your, your spouse? I mean, they're great. You should love them and, and honor them, but not more than you love and honor God. Maybe it's yourself. You loving who you're looking at in the mirror? Worshiping that person most of all? We talked about it last week, but let me affirm it this week. God's got to be first in the life of we who follow him. So let's be sober-minded and self-controlled in keeping him, number one. We talked last week about the second thing that people mentioned here in verse eight. Uh, he tells us to seek to love and be loved by other believers. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. He starts off by saying, hey man, uh, here on earth, on this plane, once you have established the, the self-control and the sober mind necessary to, to have your worship in the right place in your relationship with God, here on earth, above all, earnestly love 
Wear yourself out loving people. Since love covers over a multitude of sins. Talked about this last week. Love covers over a multitude of sins as mentioned a couple different times in scripture. scripture. But it, it isn't saying that love erases sins. Or love is the, is the price required for sins. Certainly it was love that sent Jesus to the cross. But we understand that sins are only forgiven uh, as we put our faith in what Jesus has done. Not as we you know, love enough to erase them from our record. So what is Peter here and James in his book talking about? I believe Peter's talking about how our love for each other and our very presence in each other's lives helps to cover over or helps us to war against or helps us to come against the things, the sins that would distract us from this worship that we were just talking about, this, this right worship of putting God uh, first in our lives. It's in the context of relationship uh, that God keeps us, our, our focus trained on him, keeps us reminded of the importance of him. As it says in the Proverbs that iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens another man or another woman sharpens another woman. God gives us each other uh, to be role models, to be accountability partners, to be templates for how this discipled life is supposed to go. You might think of the people that God has used in your life to move you forward in your relationship with him. I talked about some of mine last week. Um, those people acted for me uh, as, as a mentor, as a guide, as a, as a corrector at times. I think a lot of times as disciples, uh, we, we need to be linked in relationships with people who can um, uh, hold our hands and walk us through life. I remember as a young father, Eleanor and I uh, would take our young kids to the park or to the mall or across the street, and you want to know that whenever we got to the edge of the road, it was hands. Did anybody ever say that to their kids? Hands. I don't know how many times I said hands to my kids when they were young. It was just constant. Hands. And we had three, so there would be the two of us, one in the middle and one on the outsides, and, and we would just walk as a family, hand in hand, wherever we were going. I was on purpose. One, uh, to abate any of the frustrations associated with having to chase a child. Is anybody with me on that? But also to keep our children safe, on task, moving in the direction that we were meant to go to that day. That's what relationships do for us. That's why we tell you to uh, get involved in life groups, to find someone here that you can do life with, a fellow believer that can encourage you, sharpen you, correct you in love. God uses us in each other's lives to help us worship him more and better. So time is short. Let's worship. Let's belong. Now let's talk about what Peter covers next. The next thing in the four is this whole area of service. Peter's going to teach us in verse 10 to discover our spiritual gifts and to serve people with them. Look what it says, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. That's where I got all that. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I love how Pete walks us through the whole servant thing. Let me, let me break it down for us. The, the first phrase he says there uh, is that as each has received a gift. He's, he's basically telling us that if, if you're a, a disciple, you're gifted. God has imbued, has, has bestowed upon you uh, certain gifts, certain attributes that you're meant to, 
to serve other people with. Each one of us has a gift, no exceptions, none are left out. We're all meant to play in this game, no spectators. We're all uh, here uh, to exercise the gifts he's given us, to play a role in the making of the body of Christ, to making it all that it can be. Last night, uh, we have a house guest, Mary Ann's hanging out with us. She used to come here to church before she and her husband Mike moved away. But she's in town and it became evident that she'd never tried the Pastor Mark cookies. This is a sin. If you come to my house, it's, I mean, it's not, you know, the worst sin probably. But uh, So uh, I've, I've been trying not to eat cookies. But this was so grievous a sin, I was like, we're making those things. And uh, so uh, I, uh, <laughs> I sat down, I didn't sit down, I stand up while I make the cookies. I stood in the kitchen and uh, I collected all the ingredients. And it just reminded me again of how the body of Christ is this collection of ingredients, this collection of gifted individuals who are meant to play a role in the mix for cookies to become what they need to be. You need all the ingredients in the right ratios. You ever put too much flour in something you're baking? That's, uh, that's a drink of water waiting to happen, right? Now, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong, but as long as you have the right ingredients in the right ways and the right ratios, you can make some beautiful cookies. It's the same thing in the church. As long as everybody comes and brings what God has gifted them to the mix, then the church becomes what it's meant to be. Maybe you're not sure what your gifts are. We have this great class. It's going to start in October called Connect to Serve. And if you haven't taken that yet, it's a place where you can find out what your spiritual gifts are because each one of us has received a spiritual gift. But the second thing that Paul says, that, or Paul, who are we talking about? What's the name of the book? Peter. Peter. Yeah, how's it going? I wish it was like Carl and Peter. Wouldn't it be better? Two peas is too hard. Anyway, I digress. The second thing that he says there is that each has received a gift. We should use it to serve one another. Our gifts are given to us to serve other people. This should be obvious, but it isn't always. Like some, some Christians have heard about these spiritual gifts and been like, oh, I wonder what mine are. And then they take the class and find out, oh, cool. I'm, you know, uh, teaching and administration and mercy. Awesome. Well, now I feel really great about myself. Look what God gave me. And then they never go and use them. They never exercise their gifts. Let me tell you something, Christians. The gifts that God gives you are not yours. They're yours to be given to other people in his body. That's how this works. That's why I'm standing up here yelling at you. Because God has given me the gift of leadership and teaching, and this is how he wants me in this context to exercise those gifts. I'm not up here for my own sake. I'm up here if I'm doing this right, and lots of preachers aren't, but if I'm doing this right, I'm up here for the sake of us moving forward in our lives with Christ. My son, uh, Ben, lives in Jacksonville, has for like seven years. I had to count that up like, just, isn't that crazy? He's lived in Jacksonville for seven years. Anyway, he still has mail sent to us, especially around his birthday. His grandparents don't all, no, he hasn't released his address, I guess. So all of his birthday cards come to our house, Right? There's usually like a plastic something inside. Everybody know what I'm talking? It's a gift card. That's what birthday cards are for, to hold the gift card. Now, how crazy would it be every August when Ben has a birthday is if I took all of the gifts that were sent to our house, they're addressed to our home, but they have his name on them. How stupid would it be? How, would, how criminal would it be? This, I think this is against the law for me to open someone else's mail and to steal what's inside for myself. Would everybody agree that's kind of an offense? These gifts were sent to me 
for Ben. This is open. There's a long story to that. I'm not going to tell. <laughs> but don't miss my point. You who are listening online, listen, even in this crazy age that we're living in, where live church is not happening, where, where, where service opportunities maybe are diminished, it still doesn't take away from the fact that you and I have been given gifts by God for the service of each other. And when we hold them back, we're like that, that condemned servant in the parable of the talents. Remember that one? Jesus tells this story about a master who basically invests different things, different amounts in three servants, but leaves and goes away. Two of the servants take their investment and, and they increase it. They, they, they give uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, attention to it and they, they put it out in the world to where it can come back uh, you know, uh, in, in some form as an increase for their master. One of them, though, just gets one talent, which is a weight, a measurement of gold or, tre- gold or treasure, and he, he just says, you know what, I'm just going to sit on this. Does anybody remember what happens? The master returns in this parable, and Jesus says that the master saw the two who had made the investment, and he, he praised them, and he gave them even more. But he saw the one who just kind of sat on what he'd been given, and he condemned that servant. Foolish servant, he calls him. I invested in you so that you might uh, make much of what I've given you for me. Peter makes it clear here. We're, we're, every gift that we're given is used or should be used to serve others. And, and when we do that, he calls us good stewards. Good stewards of God's varied grace. The gifts are different, but we're all meant to be good stewards. That's the Greek word oikonomos. Everybody say oikonomos. That was fun, wasn't it? Everybody say gyro. That's another Greek word. Those are delicious. I'm giddy. I'm in front of people. I can actually conversationally talk to you. I'm sorry. If you're watching online, this is the first time in weeks that I've actually had the opportunity to riff. I've been, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, <laughs> economus. It's from whence we get our English word economical or economy. It was a, a, a title of, a, of an actual person in the, in the culture that it was used in. Uh, the oikonomos uh, was the steward, the butler, uh, the one who took care of the master's things, made sure that everything was where it was supposed to be and operating for maximum effect. So it is that we are to be oikonomos, economical, wise as stewards of the things that God has given us. Now, I don't have time to preach an exhaustive message on the spiritual gifts. If you want to find out more of those uh, gifts are what they are, you can go to uh, Connect to Serve or you can read Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 because Paul deals with them in greater depth. But look at verse 11 here in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Um, he goes on and he says this, Peter, about gifts. He says, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God and whoever serves, speak as one who serves by the strength of that God supplies. He just breaks the gifts down into, into two basic categories. He says, listen, there's like vocal or oral gifts, things like teaching and um, um, prophecy, discernment, wisdom, leadership, where your voice is needed to direct. And then there's more behind the scenes, less vocal gifts, serving gifts, he calls them, gifts that are uh, things like hospitality and mercy and administration, the list can go on. So he just basically gives us these two topics, but he, he's very direct in what he wants us to do with both. He says this, he says, hey guys, every one of us gets a gift. All of us are meant to use our gifts to serve other people. 
We do this as good stewards. And so as you're using your gifts as good stewards to serve other people, make sure that you always do it under the direction of our God and empowered by the spirit of our God. He says, listen, man, just watch for God's leading. Listen for his prompting. Go where he leads. And when you go and you start serving and exercising the gifts that he's given you, serve not under your own power, in your own strength, but in the strength that he provides. Our our service needs to be directed and empowered by God. It goes really wrong when it doesn't. I remember this story in uh, Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul is hanging out in a place called Ephesus and uh, yeah, he's actually able to heal people. Even his clothing has is, is, is got these healing powers and, and so these uh, itinerant exorcist Jews is what they're called. Uh, they're called the sons of Sceva. Uh, I think there's seven of them. And uh, I always picture the doors. Does anybody ever picture the doors when you're, but, uh, you know, sleepy, dopey, grouchy. Anyway, um, but these guys, they, they want to have the same power. They, they're envious of, of Paul's ability to heal. And so without, uh, you know, telling anybody anything, they say, hey, listen, they go up to a demon-possessed guy of the, of the day and they say to him, hey, um, uh, in Paul's name, by the power of Jesus, come out of him. Anybody remember what the demon-possessed guy said? Well, I certainly know Jesus. And I've heard of Paul, but I don't know who you guys are at all. And then it's my favorite part of the entire book of Acts. You know what happens next? The demon-possessed guy beats these guys naked, and they run out of the room. Is anybody grateful that every time we do something in our own power, apart from the direction of God, that God doesn't send some dude into the room to beat us naked and have us run out of the room? Is everybody grateful for that? Small blessings, right? But you know how easy it is? in the body of Christ to make whatever your gifts are about you, to go and try to exercise or, or to, to step outside of God's uh, uh, you know, discern plan for your gifts and, and to do things in your own strength, for your own glory, for your own good. That's not how this should work. We, we, we do things with God's direction and we serve by his strength. In order that, it says in 1 Peter 4, 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter was so psyched about what he just wrote there, he just busted out a doxology. Serve. Take these gifts that you've been given. Serve it. Everybody with those gifts as God directs in God's power. Be a good steward of those things. Why? That in everything God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That, that sounds a lot like our mission statement. We live to what? Glorify God. To bring him glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. Time is short. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to live our lives focused in a singular worship of him. We need to belong to each other through relationships. God's going to use our relationships uh, to, to move us forward, to keep us from the things uh, that would take us away from him. So, so be in life groups, be in relationships with other believers. We need to serve each other with the gifts that he's given us. Because that's what he's designed us to do. That's how he's meant for this machine to work. 
Even in this era of pandemic, I need to ask God, how can I serve you, Lord, in official capacities and in, in, the, in the service opportunities that we have here? I loved walking out this morning before our service started, seeing everybody, you know, uh, huddled around Don Akins, our, our leader and our, our welcome teams and parking teams and just everybody, you know, hearing the, here, here's what we're doing and here's how we're going to serve and let's pray. And then everybody just going off and doing what they're doing and bumping elbows and waving from six feet and all that stuff. There's official roles you could serve in, but there's organic opportunities where we can, you know, see God work in ways that, that are completely separate from the organized stuff of our church. You're out here a little bit early, but that's okay. <laughs> Just play. It'll be fun. Uh, I, I sat in my life group this past Thursday morning. It was the first time we met since the summer ended and listened to one of our guys talk about how, you know, uh, he's just been praying about the opportunity to be able to disciple somebody in his life. And, and one of his uh, daughter's friends, you know, uh, a young man that he's known for a while, uh, it became apparent in his life that he needed some direction, some spiritual direction. So my buddy just said, hey, man, you want to meet with me? And the kid said yes. And so every other Tuesday he's sitting down with this guy at his house and and he's just walking this kid through what it is to follow Jesus as best as he knows how. It's not part of our curriculum. It's just how God led. And he was willing and responded. I talked with another guy in our life group. Uh, he was at Home Depot this week. His cart bumped another guy's cart. Uh, it's kind of tense out there for some people. Has everybody noticed that? And so this is almost like, you know, a declaration of war, cart bumping. And this guy just kind of stared, you know, ugly eyeball at this friend of mine who's in our life group and he had to keep shopping so he kept passing it was one of those long lines that takes forever to get through and it's you know and so every time he'd pass this guy's aisle he'd just glare at him and finally he just came up to this guy and he said to him hey man can I bless you somehow can I pray for you not in a pandering kind of you know you want to fight <laughs> but uh hey man you, you seem like you're not okay are you okay can I pray for you? And right there in the Home Depot line, under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he prayed for this stranger who never took his mask off. He doesn't even know what he looks like. But he was just available to serve as God led. Oh, that we'd be a church full of people who understand the words of Jesus, who said this to his disciples, who just minutes before had been fighting over their rankings in the kingdom. He said this to him. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter doesn't mention this, but I'm just going to read one more section of scripture and we'll be done. It's the last part of our core four. He, God wants us to be disciples who make disciples. That's what we call multiplying around here. We, we worship God ourselves to be the disciples that we need to be. That's being a disciple. We, we take that personal discipleship into relationships with others so that our discipleship can rub off on others' discipleship and their discipleship can rub, on, rub off on us. That's belonging. We take the gifts that he's given us and we seek to use them in the body to serve each other, to be good stewards of those gifts. We take those same principles and we go outside of the body and we seek to serve those around us. Why do we do all of those things? Why do we grow in our own personal relationship with Christ and worshiping him? Why do we belong with each other so that we can together grow? Why do we serve each other so that, that, that growth can be you know, uh, magnified and, and, and deepened? Why do we do all that? So that we can go and make disciples like Jesus told us to. Whether it's 
Disciples who have already put faith in Jesus Christ and just need to go deeper. Or if it's our unsaved family and friends who don't yet know Jesus, don't lose sight of that in the craziness of our world. People need a savior. They need the Lord. Paul in uh, 2 Timothy is writing to his pal Tim, who's the pastor, a young pastor in a place called Ephesus. Uh, He's uh, told Tim to fan into flame his own worship. He did that in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, uh, you know, be a good guard of the deposit that's been entrusted to you. He's talking about the gospel there. But then he gets to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul says, listen, Tim, when I met you, you had found faith, but I invested in you. And I, I took you along with me on my journeys and, and discipled you to the point where you could be left in Ephesus to pastor the church there. Now you're there. Don't, don't let them look down on you because you're young. Fan into flame what has been entrusted to you and use it to the glory of God to take those same things that I gave you to, and give those to other people who will in turn. Does everybody get how this... What a pyramid scheme, right? What what I mean, I gave to you, God gave to me, you give to other people so that those people will give to other people. You know why you and I are sitting here this morning? Because that didn't stop in Ephesus. Because that didn't stop in the early church because Christians understood the mission and said, you know, I got to go and make disciples wherever God takes me, wherever I go. It's all for him, about him. So he gets the glory he deserves. Out of time. 16 years ago this week, I uh, arrived in Brandon, Florida. I sat in uh, the first service that I was employed to be here. Uh, Next week, we celebrate the arrival of Hurricane Charlie. Does anybody remember Hurricane Charlie? You had to be here. Uh, But the first week that I was meant to preach here in this box, we closed church down. I preached the next week, and then the week after that, someone named Francis came to town. And we shut this box down again. I was like, this is the best job ever. (laughs) I look like half a month. It's great. In March this past year, the world went inside. Church went online. Uh, We've continued to meet. Great to have you. Join us when you're ready. But throughout the history of the church, there's been interruptions. There's been struggle. Peter's writing this entire letter to a group of churches that are just getting hammered. He spends much of his time just talking about how to handle persecution. But here, as he gets to the end, to the close of of, of what he's trying to say to these men and women who are reading his letter firsthand, he says, hey guys, listen, the end of time's near. Be about the worship of our God. Be about belonging to each other. Serve God by serving each other with the gifts that he gives us. If you read the rest of the book, he's like, and do all of this so that the message of God can move forward, so that there can be more disciples and more joining us in the end in the eternity that God wants to give us. That's my hope and our pray- my prayer for our church. That's my hope and my prayer for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. That together you and I would realize what it is to worship, belong, serve, and multiply as we live to glorify God 
by being disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for the chance to just join together today. Uh, as we uh, stand in this next moment to close this service in song, uh, I pray that our standing is a, a sign in our hearts that we're with you. We stand with you in your mission for us. Uh, I pray the people who are joining us from home would stand where they are and sing this song with us uh, as a sign of our allegiance, of our worship of you, sir, but of our commitment to you and to what you have for us as your church. We love you, Lord. Make us disciples, better disciples, so that we can go out and be used by you to make more disciples. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?